Welcome back to the STEM Blazers podcast. As always, I am so excited to be here with an awesome new guest. On today is my amazing co-host, Maddie. Thanks, Joe. My name is Maddie Poole, and I'm so excited to be here today talking to Natasha Wright. Natasha is an employee at Google, where she has worked for over 15 years. Currently, as the head of manager development, real estate, and workplace services at Google, she helps develop leaders into even better leaders. She has also founded Women at Google in Boulder. Outside of Google, Natasha is the founder and executive director of Chai for Charity, where she educates adults and kids on nonprofits and organizes events geared towards giving. Welcome, Natasha. How are you doing today? Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me. We're so glad to have you here and so excited to talk to you. So my first question is, can you explain in general what you do and what your day-to-day looks like? And can you share how you got to Google and what your career journey has been like since joining the company, I think you have an interesting story about how you applied as a dare from your father. And I'd love to hear about that. Absolutely. So um, I'm head of manager development at Google for the real estate and workplace services team. And what I do is I identify what could make leaders better leaders. And then I design trainings to make them better leaders. So my day-to-day Um, involves um, some needs assessment. So we try to identify the characteristics of great managers, and then we um, pull out what of those skills, which of those skills are teachable. And then we try and teach those skills. We also do a lot of coaching. So we pair great managers with up and coming managers so they can learn from each other. Um, and we build community so that managers can talk to each other about the challenges and opportunities that they're facing um, and coach each other through some of those situations. So when I think about what it is that I do, I like to think that I connect, lift, and support managers at Google to be better leaders. Uh, my career journey. So after I graduated from UCLA with degrees in sociology and urban planning, I went straight into the nonprofit sector. Um, where I worked in affordable housing in South Central Los Angeles, helping low-income families become homeowners. And when I was 26, I did what you're not supposed to do. And I made three gigantic life decisions at the same time. I quit my job. I quit my boyfriend. I quit my city. And I moved back in with my parents um, and went through something that I think today is called a a quarter-life crisis. And during that crisis, I did some traveling and I had a couple of of different jobs. I was a personal trainer for a little while. And then I was Googling nonprofit jobs in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is where my parents live. And my dad dared me to apply at Google. And I took that dare, dad, and I applied to Google, not expecting that it would be the right fit for me because I spent so much of my time in the nonprofit sector. Uh, But I took the dare, I applied at Google, um, kind of cold. I didn't know anyone that worked at Google and I didn't know very much about the company, full transparency. The first time I had a Gmail address was when I applied to Google. Up until that point, I had a Hotmail or a Yahoo and I thought to myself, if I'm going to apply at Google, I better get myself a Gmail address. Uh, and I was sold in the first interview. We have some amazing folks that work at Google and we're doing some amazing things and it felt like the right fit, fit almost instantly. And the story that you're referring to is a story that I tell at a women in work conference every year to young girls who are looking to learn more about non-traditional jobs. 
And the story is that um, in March of 2006, I got the the call from a Google recruiter that I had gotten the job and I was just exploding with glee. Um, And that night we were going to have dinner with my parents and brother. So we were in PF Chang's in San Mateo, California, when I announced to the table that I had gotten the Google job and I was so excited. And my mom was excited and my brother was excited and we just started celebrating immediately. And my dad's reaction was actually very different. He tried to talk me out of taking the Google job. He thought that um, Google was too big a company for me. He thought that they would eat me alive. I think I can quote him with that, that they would eat me alive, that um, I was going from nonprofit to for-profit and that it just wouldn't be the right culture fit for me or that I wasn't the right culture fit for them. And so... Uh, in spite of my father, I actually took the Google job almost to prove him wrong, that I was in fact made for the tech sector and that I was in fact made for a large company and that I was in fact made for all of these jobs that felt a little out of reach to me. And let me tell you a little bit about my dad, actually. So I am originally Pakistani. So uh, I was born in Pakistan and my father is a traditional Pakistani man. And I think that for him, his fear of me taking on a role in the tech sector at a large company was just a protective measure. I think that he had spent most of his life um, protecting himself and protecting his family and protecting our young immigrant family. Um, And he was just worried that it wouldn't work out the way that I had hoped that it would. Um, And I think that that's where his hesitation came from. And now, of course, I've been there for 15 years and we've talked about this at great lengths. Um, And he realizes the error of his ways. But at the time, I think that he really was doing what he thought was best. I think it's really interesting how, um, you know, you made three big life decisions at the same time, but yet it seemed to work out really well. Like, it seems like you found kind of your path almost by accident, you know, and how those opportunities can come kind of out of nowhere. And if your mind wasn't open to it, maybe you wouldn't have taken that. I think that's just such a good reminder that we should like be keeping our minds open to the possibilities. Absolutely. And um, I guess I'm, I'm curious just cause like, I mean, obviously we all know Google, Google's Google. Um, We're looking at a Google doc right now, you know? So um, how has it kind of been working for Google? Like obviously super famous company, what has that been like? It's been transformative, uh, exceptional, brilliant, all of the many, many good things uh, and complicated, right? All of those things. So I've been at Google for over 15 years, 16 years in May. And uh, I married a Googler that I met on <laughs> the shuttle in San Francisco, and he's been at Google for 18 years. And we've just seen Google grow in such amazing ways over the course of our tenure. Um, so what would I say about it? I think Google is brilliant. I think that um, the work that we do really matters in the universe and that we are creating access to information in ways that are changing the world all the time. So I'm really proud of the work that we do. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I'm i sure not everybody can say that they find their job to be super fulfilling and important. So I'm really glad that you have that. That's awesome. I also think it's really cool how you've taken this perspective of having come from a lot of nonprofit work to working in a for-profit, but you're still getting that feeling of like fulfillment and um, creating change. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't think about. 
Yeah, I think so. And I think that for me, part of it is also this kind of like, I'm a classic do-gooder from the very beginning. Um, I volunteered when I was in in high school, I think, um, when it all started. So I'm a classic do-gooder and I'm always trying to think about how my superpowers can make the world a better place. And so when I think about the work that I did in the nonprofit sector and then now at Google and also with Chai for Charity, uh, my nonprofit, I'm always considering what it is that I can offer, that I can uniquely offer to do good things in the place that, I, that I'm that i in. Um, and so with Google, I feel like my unique superpower is that I'm really good at figuring out how to help someone get the support that they need so that they can build the leadership skills that will transform them at Google and beyond. That's my superpower. And then I've got superpowers for other parts of my world. Um, I wonder what my kids would say my superpowers. <laughs> I'll have to ask. <laughs> That's so interesting. Yeah, I love how you refer to it as a superpower because it is. And I think that a lot of people don't like acknowledge the things that they are like really talented at as their superpowers. And I'm going to be honest, I'm going to adopt that now. I'm going to start referring to the things that I'm like specifically um, work on as my superpowers. And I appreciate you bringing that up. And, you know, you talked about being like a, a do-gooder from the start and having these aspects that you just view as like fundamental to you. But you also brought up some about like your dad is from Pakistan and then you have like the, some of that culture. And we know that culture enhances a person's journey and can change the direction that they're going in. How did um, coming from that culture and then also being a first generation college student how did that change your journey or how did that change how you framed your journey? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. So I would say two things, two ways to answer that question. So one is that I have spent most of my life thinking about how I could honor the sacrifices that my parents and grandparents made to get us to America so that we could have better lives than they would have, than we would have had in Pakistan. And so for my earliest days, I do feel like I've hustled to do the things that would make me competitive for the next big thing. And so um, I'm very self-motivated. And I think that my parents modeled that in their own way, right? So sometimes I look back on um, what my mom was doing at the age that I am now. And I remember you like acutely at 28 years old, um, I was, you know, I was out of college and I was in, I was already at Google. I was at my second job, et cetera. And I thought about my mom at 28, my mom at 28 had had, two children, emigrated to two different countries, and was working two jobs um, so that her kids could live in America in a small apartment where we um, didn't realize it at the time, but we were low income and we were latchkey kids. And, and she just like built this world for us uh, because she knew that we would have better lives because of the sacrifices that she made. So I think about I think about those stories and how they're all part, like weaved into who I am, and that makes me hustle. And um, and like I said, she mo she modeled kind of like same hustle in her own way. Uh, so that's one thing that I would say about it. Uh, and maybe I don't have a second thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's so impactful. That's an amazing story. Yeah. And just models how much strength it takes going through that process to change your perspective enough and to adapt to a different country is already hard enough. And then to model that for your children in a way that helps them be successful. It's like, that's, that's an amazing thing. And it seems like you've taken it in stride. Like you've, you've done amazing things with that. And we're, I'm excited to hear more about that. 
totally. And the one, another thing that I will add to it, and I know we haven't talked about Chai for Charity yet, but part of the reason why Chai for Charity exists in its current model is actually so that we can create a giving model that's inclusive of people of different socioeconomic backgrounds. And I learned a lot of that from being uh, part of a family uh, who didn't know how to give in meaningful ways, because at that time we felt excluded from the giving process. So that is another way that you will see it weave into, into my life today. And of course, Chai for Charity is named after Chai and I'm from Pakistan and Chai is a really meaningful um, tradition for us. So that might be the other way that I would describe it has an impact in my life today. Yeah, absolutely. And I think now's probably the perfect time to jump into more about Chai for Charity. And so if you could tell us kind of what it is, I guess, in general, what you do, how you founded it, all that, we would love to hear that story. Absolutely. So uh, 11 years ago, I was finally in a position where I could invest in local nonprofit efforts. I did a ton of research, got super excited about what I found about um, local nonprofits that I wanted to invest in. I told all my girlfriends about it, about them. And at this point, they had scattered across six locations across North America, and they got excited too. Together, we decided to run what became the first Chai for Charity in six locations across North America on the same day at the same time and collectively raised $6,000 for survivors of domestic violence. And it was electric. We were going to start a movement. Um, two weeks later, I found out that I was pregnant with my first son, and I have been pregnant ever since. I've got three sons under 10, and I had to put Chai for Charity on hold for a number of years. So we ran our first Chai for Charity um, in uh, 2011, so 10 years ago, 2011. Um, and then we ran our second Chai for Charity seven years later uh, because I wanted to test whether the model still worked and whether there was still appetite for it. And we ran a second one, like I said, seven years later. And again, it was electric. And so we became founded as a nonprofit in 2019, January of 2019. And our mission is to inspire people to give in creative ways. Ideally, we believe that giving is social. We believe that people give where their friends give and people want to give to nonprofits that their friends trust. So we gather people at small events where we serve chai or hot chocolate for kids. And we learn about local nonprofit efforts that we can collectively give to. And I mentioned earlier that part of the reason why Chai for Charity exists in its current model is that I'm trying to lower the barrier to giving and make a, and create a more inclusive giving model so that we can include folks of different socioeconomic backgrounds and different generations so that they can give in ways that are meaningful to them. Um, and so we invite people to give in four categories, money, goods, time, and talent, because when you think about the different seasons of your life, you have different things to give, right? Um, 20 year old me had more time, but no talent and no money. And 40 year old me has no time, but some talent and some money. And 60 year old me will have a whole different version of those things. And a couple of years ago, my then eight year old son came to me and said, Hey, kids have things to give too. And together we designed a chai for charity for kids so that kids can understand what gifts they have to give. And um, we can have some really productive conversations around folks who could use some of our money, goods, time, and talent and how that gets used in our community. So that feels really powerful. Chai for Charity, thank you for asking. 
Yeah, awesome. That sounds amazing how you just kind of work on including all types of people who can give and especially in different ways. I feel like that's really important that you emphasize that because I mean, obviously, I'm a college student. I don't have a whole lot of money to give, but I could, you know, donate a few hours here and there to something that is super important. So I think that's awesome that you kind of emphasize that you don't necessarily have to have all of these things to help out something that you care about. Yeah, that's so amazing. And it just, it's so apparent how much passion you have for this organization and how you're combining the things you do at Google and then the things you're doing with Chai for Charity and how you do that um, synonymously, I think is just incredibly impressive. But with that, we want to also say uh, we're going to give a little break. Thank you, Natasha, for answering those first few questions. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Hi, it's Wendy. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the podcast. If you follow Stimblazers on social media, you know that registration for our sixth annual golf tournament is in full swing. If you are in the area and would like to join us on July 28th at the beautiful Arrowhead Golf Course in Colorado, please visit us at our website at stimblazers.org. This week's episode is sponsored by Viasat. Viasat is a global communications company that believes everyone and everything in the world can be connected. For more than 35 years, Viasat has helped shape how the world communicates. Carrying on this tradition today, the company is developing the ultimate global communications network using their VS3 satellite to empower communities and impact people's lives anywhere they are, on the ground, in the air, or at sea. Thank you to Viasat for sponsoring this episode. If you'd like to learn more about Viasat, please visit them at viasat.com. Now let's get you back to the conversation. Welcome back to the second half of the podcast, and we are going to jump into a few more questions. I'm curious because there's a lot of people like making career changes is becoming a very normalized thing. A lot of people change their careers uh, several times uh, before they retire. And you made some shifts in your career with your quarter life crisis. And I'm sure a lot of people young and old are waiting for their quarter or midlife crisis um, to make those changes. But were there any moments that either you were like, oh, am I doing the right thing that made you doubt or that made you certain about the path you were going on for your career? What were those moments? What did they look like? Absolutely. Good question. So about three years ago, um, I was, I was at a crossroads. I was not happy at Google. I was not enjoying the work that I was doing. I was not um, feeling fulfilled at work and in my work. And so I actually started to think about what my next role would look like or my next, my next adventure would look like. And I got to a point where I discovered that what I was looking for was meaningful work that used my superpowers in a way that helped me make the world a better place. Um, and I wanted to make a very direct connection to that. And so I started to identify the parts of my career that I really did enjoy and what motivated me and what helped me feel proud. And then I designed the roles that I wanted um, based on all of that information. And I, 
I'm saying it now with such clarity and confidence. At the time, there was neither clarity nor confidence. Um, but I will tell you that I know I'm in the right spot because of moments that happen probably every month since then. So moments like when I talk to a group of managers and uh, managers at Google, and they tell me how important it's been for them to have met other folks that they can talk to about their challenges and how powerful those connections have been for them and how much they feel like they now belong as managers at Google. So that would be one. And then another would be, so with Chai for Charity, sometimes I worry that I'm investing too much time in that and not enough in other things because, you know, I invented it. Chai for Charity is my brainchild. And sometimes I wonder whether my time investment is not consistent, but if it resonates with my values and the way that I want to be spending my time, et cetera. And then I'll have a moment where um, I will run a Chai for Charity kids event or Chai for Charity families event and our youngest donor will be two years old. And um, one of our donors will independently decide to um, assemble hygiene kits for the homeless and have her mom hand them out from, from her car window. Or my children will, again, independently decide to run a lemonade stand. And instead of using the money to buy themselves things, they'll donate them to a nonprofit that they care about. And so there are moments like that where I have complete confidence and complete clarity that I'm using my superpowers and my time and my energy in ways that are meaningful to me, of course, but also meaningful to others. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you are constantly in at the forefront in, in your perspective, and correct me if I'm wrong, but of creating change and working with people and how how flawlessly you've combined the different aspects of your life in order to create a balance that fulfills you. I think that a lot more people need to start talking about what you're talking about, about designing their own position, title, career, because it's something that I just heard about recently. And I didn't even realize that people did that, that once you're in a position, you can design your own position um, based on what that community needs. And I think it is it needs to be hyped up more. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I know you kind of mentioned a little bit about like trying to find a balance between, you know, your Google job and then Chai for Charity. Can you kind of talk about how you find a balance within your own life between, you know, personal and then nonprofit and Google? Like, what does that balance look like for you? Uh, I love that you called it balance because I don't know that that exists. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Good question. So, one of my favorite quotes is from an author whose name is going to escape me, but she essentially talks about Generation X women, Gen X women, which is what I am. And she wrote a book, I think it's called Why We Can't Sleep or Why Women Can't Sleep. I can't remember. I can send you these details later. But essentially what she said is that our generation of women were taught that they can be anything that they wanted to be. And we have translated that into... Um, meaning that we can be everything that we want to be. And I think that what's most powerful about that quote is that it's not possible to be everything all the time. And so that's why your question about balance is such a good one. I don't know that there is an answer. Um, How do I do it? I I think that the answer is that balance looks different every day, uh, every hour sometimes. And that 
knowing that your children are a priority or knowing what your priorities are. Maybe that's the best way to say it. Knowing what your priorities are can help you to balance your day in a way that matters to you. So like I said, some days I am more present and more playful with my kids. And some days I am hustling to get a, to meet a deadline for Chai for Charity um, or to meet a deadline for, for Google. So it looks different every day. But knowing what matters helps me a lot. I appreciate your honesty with that question. Um, I think that's honestly more valuable saying that it just changes all the time because that's totally understandable, especially if you have obviously different things that need your attention at different times. It's not always going to be the same. So I think that's really valuable um, to know that it's not always going to be consistent and that is okay. And that is like what you need to do when you need to do it. So I really like your answer on that. You worded it so much more beautifully than I did. Thank you, Maddie. (laughs) Of course. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And really quickly, I just wanted to mention because your work for Chai for Charity and with Chai for Charity has helped raise funds for STEM Blazers that we are incredibly grateful for that. And organizations that do that and the work that you did is just so impactful and wanted to appreciate you and shout you out for that. I, I know we would be getting rampant applause if it wasn't just us in in a room. Um, but with that, I'm super curious why you think from your perspective, it's important to have organizations like Women at Google and Boulder. Could you tell us a little bit about why you started that group and why it's important to you? Absolutely. So Women at Google um, existed in Mountain View, but Women at Google Boulder exists because I think that it's really important to have community based on what I was telling you about my day job um, and helping managers to build community so that they can share common challenges and support each other. I think Women at Google Boulder is just as important for the same reasons, actually. I think it's really important for us to um, build community so that we can understand each other's challenges and Um, and find comfort in each other's experiences and lift each other and support each other, advocate for each other. Uh, And honestly, it's it's that sisterhood that I think has made Google more meaningful, my experience at Google more meaningful to me. And I'm hoping that it has made um, the experience at Google more meaningful for a whole bunch of women at Google Boulder, because we've just built some bonds that are going to outlast our time here. That's so wonderful. And I mean, draws directly from what you were talking about with balance and with creating community and also the idea that, you know, a lot of women think that because they can do anything that they just really want to do everything because there's so many options and having other people to solidify that, like give you the reality, but also make other things possible. That's just such a beautiful um, example of how these careers and these opportunities can be accessible to a lot of women. Yeah, definitely. And kind of going off of that, having been a part of women at Google and obviously founding that, and then we're, you know, STEM blazers also seeking to uplift women. um, What would you tell younger girls who are maybe hesitant to pursue a career in STEM because they're maybe not sure if they would fit in, if they are cut out for it, if they're nervous about like kind of all of the men in the room and them kind of being the only women, what would you kind of tell them? I would tell them two things. Um, One, I would tell them that you belong here. Um, I think that, uh, is it RBG who said it best? Like women 
should be in all places. Oh, now I'm going to screw up her quote. <laughs> where decisions are made. Women should be in all places where decisions are made, I think. Um, the first thing that I would say to them is that you belong here. The second thing that I would say to them is that we have unique skill sets that make us productive and powerful assets to every community. And there's no reason why this isn't why STEM is an exception. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that definitely simplifies it. You know, I feel like we spend all this time kind of talking about like why STEM is like different, but it's it's like any other career. Of course, women could do it. Like I like how you simplify that. That's really nice to think about. I think that what I what has changed over the years, which hopefully benefits women in younger generations, is the modeling of it by women in older generations. So when I was in school, I didn't know a scientist who was a woman or a technologist who was a woman or an engineer or um, or a mathematician who were women. We just I just didn't know them and we didn't study them in school. So I couldn't even name anyone other than Marie Curie, I think. And so it's the modeling of those roles and professions by women um, today that I think is making it so accessible and just a really powerful statement to women of younger generations that you that they can see themselves in those roles. And I think that that's something that's really important that I notice is changing. We talk a lot about role models on this podcast and how important they are and how impactful seeing someone who looks like you doing something that, you know, maybe you previously hadn't thought of or hadn't even known was a career or an option for you and how kind of inspiring and how many doors that opens for especially like younger girls to see like women scientists, women engineers, women astronauts, all of these like really cool traditionally male jobs. Just even seeing that and hearing about it is so, so important. Important. And it makes you feel like, oh, I can do that. That is an option for me. That's something that I maybe want to look into more and, you know, take some classes or something that you probably wouldn't have previously if you hadn't have had those role models. I think that was just such a phenomenal and inspiring answer. And we are actually at a good kind of like wrapping up point for our question. So we just wanted to throw out there um, the opportunity to say anything else to our listeners, give any advice if you had anything just off, off the top of your head that you wanted to share. Go get them. I like that. I like that. Yeah, go get them. <laughs> well, I hope they'll take that advice because it seems like you've been doing quite a lot of that. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to jump into our rapid fire question round. And basically how it works is Joe and I are going to switch off asking a series of questions and you just kind of give like a short, quick answer. Uh, Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, cool. Uh, First question. Want to start us off, Joe? Yeah, perfect. What did you want to be when you were five? A doctor. Uh, who is your female STEM icon? The hidden figures. What is your best life hack? Remembering everyone's name because it matters. It is important. Uh, what's your favorite way to de-stress? Exercise, Netflix, and ice cream, but not together. (laughs) What is the best compliment you've ever received? You make everyone feel like they belong. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Warms my heart. (laughs) Um, What is your favorite motto? Make it happen. I like it. What is something that you've been wanting to learn? Scuba diving. That sounds cool. Um, And then what's your favorite song? 
right? So my kids are making me listen to Thunder um, a lot by Imagine Dragons. But my like girl power song is, uh, this one's for the girls. Awesome. We'll add those songs to our mentor playlist, which you can find on Spotify. So make sure to check that out. And lastly, this is a question we ask all of our guests. So standing where you are now, what advice would you give to your high school self? You belong here. Trust yourself. That's amazing. Wonderful. And then now for our listeners, we have our trivia question of the episode. And the question is, which planet has the most moons in our in our solar system? And uh, you can find the answer to that uh, on our Instagram uh, at STEM Blazers. So make sure to check that out. We just want to thank you so much, Natasha, for joining us on this episode. We have so thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. You are such a passionate, inspired person. And on behalf of STEM Blazers, Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for inspiring girls and women entering or in transitioning the STEM fields. And go you. <laughs> go us. Go us. Thanks so much, Joe and Maddie. Yeah. And uh, shout out to the listeners. Thank you for joining us for another STEM Blazers episode. If you want more information or to stay up to date with what we're working on, check out our website, uh, stemblazers.org, or our Facebook and Instagram pages at STEM Blazers. 